0: I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week.
1: Our hope is that we'll share some information that you'll find helpful.
0: So now we invite you to join us as we together
1: listen listen for for the the word.
0: word. Hi everybody, welcome to our podcast today. You have all been waiting for us to get into the book of Mark, and finally, here we are. So as we encounter Mark for the first time, we are going to be looking at Mark 1, verses 1 through, I'm I'm sorry, verses 4 through 11. We don't get to start right at the beginning. (laughs) Sure we will.
1: We're going to start with verse
0: 1. (laughs) I think Alan's going to take us there anyway, but you know, it's our first dive into Mark, so why don't you give us some background on the book of Mark?
1: Sure. Um, Mark's Gospel is really quite unique. If you just read Mark's Gospel through, uh, you kind of get a sense for this. It is the shortest of the Gospels by far. And it's, it's a narrative of Jesus' ministry that really moves along at a rather brisk pace. If you read through it, Having like, if you read through Matthew and then you read through Mark, I think you would be a bit shocked or surprised at how quickly Mark kind of skims over some of the events in Jesus' ministry that that Matthew or Luke spent or John maybe spends more time on.
0: I love how it. Uh... The word "immediately" is immediately, and immediately, forty-two
1: <laughs> times in in Mark's Gospel, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately. Now, not not every translation brings that out. Some translations obscure that by by smoothing that out, and that's not good English style, you know. But but it's there in the Greek, believe me. And and so, um, and I think it's also partly due, in fact, to a relative lack of teaching sections like like the Sermon on the Mount. You don't have an equivalent of that. In Mark's gospel, mm-hmm. you do have some teaching passages, but it's much shorter, and it gives me the—I get the impression that he's—he's he's really rushing to get to the passion narrative because mm-hmm. to, for him that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. One of the things that—that that is notable about Mark's gospel is that Mark portrays Jesus' ministry with some almost astonishing candor. For example, he tells the story of Jesus healing a man who was blind, and—and and he, it, Mark's gospel describes some of his actual. Uh, healing techniques so to speak (laughs) he spits on his hands and then rubs it on the man's eyes and he says can you see and the guy says well i can see people but they're like trees so it's like it didn't take fully the first time well that would be a strange thing to include in a gospel where you're trying to demonstrate that this person is the messiah the christ the son of god Uh, also, if you really just read through Mark's Gospel and you look at the portrait of the disciples in Mark's Gospel, <laughs> these are the apostles, these are the people who are going to be the leaders of the church. They don't come off they
0: don't get it, looking no.
1: favorably at all. They look pretty dull and dense, we're for, reading for this, sure.
0: We're reading this with some college students right now, I am, and they're, they're pretty harder than the disciples. They're like, yeah. these guys are clueless. They
1: are, they are. And But I think there's a point to that yes, in Mark's I do, Gospel. Yes, I agree. Um, I agree. And then, of course, um, you may or may not know this depending on the translation of the Bible you use, but Mark's Gospel very likely ends rather abruptly in Mark sixteen eight, apparently without any post-resurrection appearances or any commissioning of his disciples, although that's not entirely the case if you really look further. And so what's happened is that in the history of the church, scribes have composed not one but two different endings for mark's gospel that are found in the manuscripts
0: i almost think that today in this kind of postmodern world we're more we're more in tune with what seems to be incomplete like Mm -hmm. it's kind of like we're reclaiming that now we're recognizing not only as scholars but it makes sense to us as Mm -hmm. as artists but there was a time when it had to conclude you can't end this way it doesn't work and yet i think once we get there it it ultimately really makes a lot of sense. Well,
1: and, and, you know, if you read Mark sixteen eight, it says something to the effect of that the women to whom the angel appeared and told them that Jesus was risen. They didn't tell anybody because they were, they were afraid. afraid. And I think the point of that is that this is a story that cries out to be told. Mm-hmm. What a more effective means of getting people to tell the story than by ending your gospel? That ending way. it, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. So it probably is a, an intentional move, I think. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So um, one of the main themes of the Gospel of Mark, maybe the main theme, is that that Jesus is the Son of God.
1: Yes, and, <laughs> and you get that you get that right from the beginning. I mean, Mark one one, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I think uh, if you really get into the details of Mark's gospel, you find that that really seems to be the main point of the whole gospel is to demonstrate that Jesus is the Son of God. And, of course, we might think, well, yeah, of course, duh, that's self-evident. you know. But in that day, it definitely was not. And uh, actually, even the understanding of the term Son of God would have been different in that day. It was a title used for anybody who was a special agent of God's. The king of Israel could be the son of God. Uh, That didn't mean he was divine. And so with reference to the Messiah, calling him the son of God would have conveyed a notion that um, this one was God's anointed servant who would throw off the yoke of the Romans and establish himself as king on David's throne. Mm -hmm. You even notice, I mean, I think about... In Acts, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked Jesus, you know, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, they're looking still. They've witnessed Jesus' ministry. Right. They've witnessed his, his death and resurrection, and they still think it's about uh, a restoration of the kingdom of David and um, probably contributes toward the fact that in Mark's Gospels, um, people continually misunderstand, and even the disciples right. continually fail to understand what Jesus is about. And they have a hard time believing, and of course, what they're seeing—the
0: messianic secret—that we don't, you know, keep. T- if you if you do recognize me, don't tell anybody. If <laughs> so, well, and, that's and, going on as well. And
1: actually, you know, the messianic secret is is a theory that was um, that was um, started by a New Testament scholar, Wilhelm Vreda, about the end of the nineteenth century. I think he believed that Mark invented the messianic secret to basically cover over the so-called embarrassment factor that Jesus did all these wonderful things, but he wasn't widely recognized as the Son of God. So I wouldn't use the term messianic secret for Mark because what I would say is that in Mark's gospel, Jesus is very much reticent to use messianic terms for himself he does not call Mm -hmm. himself christ he does not call himself son of god he uses other terms and that's because he wants to avoid misunderstanding and and again one of the things you see is jesus does tell people don't say anything about this to anybody after he's healed someone Mm -hmm. and they repeatedly go out and say any say something anyway and and what you see in in mark's gospel is that Jesus is constantly surrounded by these throngs of people and he you know he hasn't really come to be a healer that wasn't his main purpose right. but he's constantly put in these positions Absolutely. where people are to asking heal. him for healing mm-hmm. and, and because he's constantly surrounded by throngs when he's in mm-hmm. in Jewish territory and so um but that is another feature of Mark's gospel is that Jesus it's kind of strange Jesus heals these people and then says don't, don't say anything do don't to anybody. say
0: anybody so moving on, then. Um, so if he's, if Jesus is not uh, the Son of God or, or not known as that, why does he call himself maybe the Son of Man?
1: So I think I think people would not have imported the same theology of a Messiah into the phrase Son of Man as they would have if he had said, "I'm the Christ and I'm the Son of God." Uh, and so I think he, they, that's another sort of feature. And you see this in all the Gospels, not just Mark's Gospel. But this is another feature of how Jesus is trying to define his role as Messiah based on what he perceives God's will for him to be, not based on what the people's expectations were. And so he uses Son of Man because it wasn't a well-known title. In, in their minds, and we've, we talked about this a little bit, I think, before in one of our earlier episodes, but in their minds, calling himself a Son of Man would have just meant, well, I'm, I'm just human like you are but in reality he's very likely referring to um, the one like a son of man in Daniel seven thirteen and 14 who receives an everlasting kingdom from the Ancient of Days and so he Jesus uses this as a title to claim divine authority but they don't really catch on because that's not something they would have expected it wouldn't have clicked in their ears no
0: that doesn't click in their ears at all yeah um, you know when I'm thinking about son of man but yet When in this in this early passage that we have, we see you know ultimately God, I saying you're my son with whom I am well pleased. So, are we supposed to see that in listening to the passage ourselves that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Yes. And
1: and and I think that's that's really the point of the first verse is that everyone who reads Mark's gospel knows from the outset what was not apparent to most of the people actually participating in the narrative N- nobody except for demoniacs in the gospel recognized who <laughs> Jesus is except at the end only right. at the end the roman centurion at the cross right. when he saw the way jesus died he said truly this was the son of god right and i think there's i think there's some significance to that because i think um I think Mark wants us to understand that we cannot truly um, understand Jesus' significance and who Jesus is as the Son of God apart from the cross. Uh, We have to understand that Jesus is the one who died on the cross in order to understand what it meant that he was the Son of God. And so um, I think that's part of what's going on in Mark's Gospel. Um, with the fact that Jesus never refers to himself that way, with the fact that the disciples don't get it, with the fact that Jesus tells people not to tell anyone about him. um, And that is in Mark's gospel. Mark wants us to see that we have to see Jesus in light of the cross in order to really get what it means that he is the son of God.
0: Let me just ask about where Peter identifies him as the Messiah. So Mm -hmm. then Peter's not... Still seeing him as a human yes. Messiah, not as a, not as what we think of as the Son of God. And see, this yeah. is where
1: we collapse the Gospels into one, because okay. because in Mark's Gospel, it's uh, Peter's confession is You are the Christ. In Luke's Gospel, it's You are the Christ, the Son of God. In Matthew's Gospel, it's You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Ah, and okay. so we, we tend to sort of just collapse sure. that all. And we just we, for, we don't really notice that Peter only says, you're the, the Christ in Mark's gospel.
0: And therefore, Peter's still seeing him as... Peter
1: a, does not confess Jesus as Son of interesting. God. Interesting. Not in Mark's
0: gospel. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: You know, we some people might think, well, those two terms are synonymous. That I was going to say, I case. think
0: that's, I think that's what goes through people's minds mm-hmm. um, when they read this. I think that's what they see because they've mm-hmm. collapsed it and they have made those to be synonymous. Yeah. But I think this is a really important uh, nuance, and and makes Mark's gospel make more sense actually when we don't have Peter recognize him right there right. because then it. It, it kind of...
1: No, in Mark's gospel, nobody recognizes that Jesus is the Son of God and confesses him as such until after he dies on the cross. Mm-hmm.
0: And then look who does it. It's this it's obscure this character.
1: Mm-hmm. A, a very unlikely witness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, so let's go on and look at the, more specifically about the passage. And um, why does he begin with John the Baptist? And tell us about John.
1: Well, okay, so we don't know a whole lot about John. Um, there are some people who want to make more of John than I think that that John would even want to be made of. <laughs> um, some even say that Jesus originated as a disciple of John because John was the one who baptized right,
0: him. Right, that's kind of a... Historical theory, but yeah, I don't really buy
1: into that. Mm. Um, And in fact, uh, I think later on we'll we'll point out that you know, if you look at the way John's ministry was oriented and the way Jesus' ministry was oriented, they're very different from one another. Yes. Yes. But John plays a significant role in the gospel tradition as a whole. Mm -hmm. So uh, all the gospels have this. Uh, the section that that begins in verse 2 of mark uh, mark chapter 1 all the gospels have some sort of allusion or quotation from isaiah 40. Um, mark also includes Malachi 3 1 <laughs> and he says that both of them come from isaiah uh, yes which, I
0: thought, yes exactly Oops. Yeah. Uh, i wonder if that was just a memory I, it lapse was you or, know uh,
1: I, I think it was one of those one of the one of the ways in which they cited scripture was that they would cite chains of scriptures that that all had the same theme and they might refer to like maybe the most prominent
0: oh yeah i could see that the most prominent yeah. source would yeah. be
1: isaiah for example chain quotations were a common factor and then feature in the new testament i think
0: that's important some people some people reference that kind of mocking mark, and I don't think mm-hmm. that's very fair no. um, at all, because it's really a very brilliantly written...
1: Well, it doesn't do piece. justice to the way in which people cited Scripture in that day. Yeah, so that's right? an important piece. Right. So in all four of the Gospels, we have this we have this piece about the forerunner who's going to prepare the way, and John is the one who is identified as that. Um, I think this probably was a Jewish kind of concern, because... We do have uh, in some of the Gospels this question about, you know, there's going to be an Elijah who's going to come. And that's just from Malachi 3, you know, mm, yeah. that I'm going to send my messenger before, before my face. And so out of that came this idea that Elijah was going to precede the Messiah. And in, in Mark's Gospel, Jesus basically says, yeah, Elijah has come and it was it was and you mistreated him it was John he doesn't say it explicitly but he does allude to the fact that John was this forerunner so so this is part of the gospel tradition in in the way the gospel tradition confirms Jesus identity John is the one who comes before him to prepare the way for the lord now and here both of both of these texts that that Mark cites are both in reference to Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible and here it's the way of the lord kurios which would have been applied to jesus yeah. and and it's a feature throughout the new testament that passages like this are attributed to jesus with apparently without any need to explain it
0: yeah it's Except just
1: that it, they assume that that's legitimate yeah and I, I think that's pretty cool myself i
0: think that's pretty cool i think it i think it's something about the oral tradition as well yeah. um, that this has just oh, become- yeah really embedded. They,
1: they saw him as Lord Absolutely. from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. very cool. And I think part of this also is that it, it also calls to mind the whole theme of Second Isaiah that we were going through in, in Advent in our podcasts. You know, there, there's this theme that God is going to restore his people. And, and so the coming of this forerunner is sort of a, um, a part of that expectation of restoration and so this ties the narrative of jesus ministry into uh, the theme in second isaiah regarding the servant of the lord and so i think uh there's a lot going on, really.
0: <laughs> There's a lot going on. There's a on. lot going on in the, <laughs> and those in this, short little in verses short little that, verse. that we and, overlook.
1: and Mark, really, he compacts, oh, this is again, Mark's uniqueness as a gospel writer. He compacts all of that in just two verses.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, um, moving on then, um, Jesus. Mark introduces us to Jesus at this baptism, um, and that uh, he begins with Jesus's adult life, which we don't see in Matthew, we don't see in Luke. We just start as an adult. So, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, and it it may seem jarring, and I think it did seem jarring to um, um, some, even ancient commentators. Um, I'm sh- I would be I would be surprised if some of the reformers didn't comment on that somewhat negatively Uh, throughout history Mark has been seen as a deficient gospel because Mm -hmm. it doesn't have um, any story about Jesus' birth or any of the infancy narratives I think for Mark the point is that Mark's focus is on the passion narrative and again I think for Mark the point is if you want to understand who Jesus is as the son of God you have to understand that he gave his life To suffer and die for us all and and that is crucial to mark and so in mark's gospel as i said it's like he's rushing through some of the other stories of jesus life to get to the passion narrative now i think the reason why he begins with the baptism of jesus in his account of jesus public ministry Is because and and actually all of the gospels do this. All the gospels start with the baptism because this is a primary event, right? In understanding who Jesus Jesus is. Is,
0: I, and maybe this is an aside. You know, when I think about biography, and Mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily a fair way to look at gospels, but in a way they are a biography, um, and. Biographies always start with birth, but I think it also is telling us. Marcus maybe telling us this isn't really a biography, so don't look at it like a biography. it's a gospel. I'm telling a different story. Yes, he's telling mm -hmm. the story
1: of Jesus the Christ, the son of the, the son of God.
0: Right. Yeah. Because how many of us guilty are all caught up with what happens when you're small, but are those the things that really define? who you are mm-hmm. in, in in your life are those the benchmarks that people really mark off sure. when you die and and no not And so much. I think
1: for Mark the two benchmarks are his baptism and his cross. I,
0: I agree. So in a way if you will kind of what is beginning at the beginning and what is at the end. Yeah, that's right.
1: That's right. Yeah. And both of them are are meant to demonstrate what it means that Jesus is the son of God. Um and as I said in in Mark's gospel it seems that um, he, wants to be, he wants to be very clear that you can only truly acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God in light of the cross. And, and nobody does until Jesus dies on the cross. Right. Now, interestingly, yeah. Mark doesn't draw out specifics about how the cross defines Jesus as the Son of God. I think he just puts it out there. And I think what you see in, in the rest of the New Testament is an effort to, to determine, <laughs> yeah. to understand, and to interpret what is the meaning of Jesus' death. And, and it's not I just agree. one, there's not just one meaning of Jesus' death right. presented in the New Testament. You know, there's this, there's this idea out there that, oh, well, we all know that Jesus died as a substitutionary atonement for our sins. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there are some texts that interpret it that way, primarily the book of Hebrews. But there are a number of other emphases about the cross, Um, One is the humiliation of Jesus, that he humbles himself. Mm -hmm. And we see that in Paul. You know, he humbles himself and becomes obedient to the the point of death. One of them is that his death on the cross demonstrates the depth of God's love. Mm -hmm. Um, That's also Paul in Romans chapter Mm -hmm. 5. One of them is that um, through the cross, Jesus uh, conquers all the powers of evil Mm -hmm. in the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And And one of them is that through the cross, Jesus reconciles us to God mm-hmm. so that we can be in right relationship with God. So these are all major themes in the New mm-hmm. Testament. It's not just one idea. Right. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Mark leaves it as it is. I think so. The cross, you have to understand the cross to understand Jesus as the Son of God. And right. so the rest of the New Testament sort of unpacks that. Unpacks it. And yeah. obviously
0: these ideas are going around. I mean, Paul's writings are yeah. prior to Mark. But Mark does, doesn't go there. Nope. And, and in a way, he's drawing you, the reader,
1: he wants to draw you to Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross, on the cross. Yep. yeah,
0: yeah. One of the things um, that uh, you ask here is about um, Jesus being the beloved Son of God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's of course where God is cl- is claiming is claiming Jesus in this in this passage. What? Tell us a little bit more okay. about that. Why is this so important?
1: Well, and I think I think Mark wants us to see that the focus of Jesus' baptism is on his identity as the Son of God. Again, everything for Mark is focused around Jesus' identity as the Son of God. Again, no human makes that affirmation in Mark's gospel, but here we have the voice from heaven that makes that affirmation. And it's interesting because, you know, in some of the other gospels, like in John's gospel, I believe it says something to the effect of, the people thought they heard it thunder. (laughs) And in other gospels, they word it, this is my beloved son you know and so it's it's the voice is to the crowd and to bear witness to them in mark's gospel it is you are my beloved son with you i am well pleased mm-hmm. the the whole experience is focused on jesus um he jesus has the vision of heaven opened jesus has the vision of the spirit descending to him as a dove jesus Hears the voice from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And 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 one of the things I think again we want to be aware of is we all know that the baptism of the Lord is one of the liturgical days in right. the in a church calendar, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we all we all probably observe it or not, I don't know. But um, again, we tend to collapse the accounts of, of yes, the baptism into one. We do. And if you look at the Gospels and and you look at them separately, all of them have a separate emphasis they do they have a very different yes
0: because matthew's pulling in the pharisees and the sadducees and that well in, that and space. in matthew's
1: gospel it is to fulfill all righteousness exactly. and that's of course a major theme in mm-hmm. matthew's gospel is is what kind of righteousness is true righteousness right and jesus Points out that it's the righteousness that really, uh, really and truly obeys the Torah and doesn't just do so externally.
0: Right. And then, uh, then in Luke's Luke, gospel,
1: Luke's gospel, it's about Jesus being empowered by the Spirit, mm-hmm. and so Jesus goes out from there in the power of the Spirit, and begins to minister in the, the power the, of the Spirit. The
0: whole that whole ministry piece is right in that yeah. in this baptism segment, yeah. and it's yeah. all about
1: Jesus being empowered by the Spirit. Here it is Here. all about Jesus being understanding that he is the son of god and and i think we have to put ourselves in the human jesus shoes we tend to we tend to sort of um
0: we forget we forget about that that well
1: we do we we make him so much divine that we forget that he was born he grew up like a child like any child he was like any other other young man um and maybe he had some clues about who he was according to some of the other gospels infancy narratives luke's Mm -hmm. infancy narrative for example the the 12 year old jesus at the temple but um for mark where that is confirmed is at the baptism now there are some theologians who will advocate that what this means is that god's spirit comes upon jesus the human jesus of nazareth at the baptism and makes him into the son of god which is what's called adoptionism,
0: exactly, and that's that's an old heresy. It Wouldn't is we an don't old heresy. Don't want to go there.
1: <laughs> on a superficial reading of this passage, you could come you away could, with you that. Could
0: see how they could get that? Yeah.
1: I don't think that's what's going on here, though. I think what this is is more of a confirmation for Jesus Himself. I think so. And as again, well. we would. Mm-hmm. I think we we so divinize Jesus that we miss the point that maybe the human, the fully right. human Jesus of Nazareth needed this kind of confirmation oh yes and so yes. it provides for him a framework i think not only for understanding who he is but also for understanding his ministry mm-hmm. and and um as we'll probably talk about later uh my favorite reformed theologian Jürgen Moltmann says this helps us understand why jesus can speak of god as abba father in such intimate terms in a way that nobody else would have dared to speak about
0: exactly Exactly.
1: So, so again, in Mark's gospel, the baptism of Jesus is all about understanding Jesus as the Son of God, and and for him, this is a this is an event that confirms it for him, and and it it's sort of like a call almost his call to ministry to to begin his um, ministry as the Messiah begins with the baptism.
0: Perfect. Well, we'll be back.
1: All right. Thank you hi folks we're back and so i'm going to jump in with christy right now and just ask did the reformers really pay that much attention to mark's gospel as a gospel or did they kind of overlook it in favor of a more complete gospel like matthew yeah
0: they are there, remember, Calvin, in his commentaries, collapses the Gospels. And so ab- Mark has really collapsed right into the other two. And so he's using all of those to try to create a full picture of who Jesus is, but is relying on all these different voices to come in and do that. So that takes away these individual emphases that we have made such a point of. And I think that our Gospel writers were. That was not their space. Their space was to say, well, what is the one message of how, who Jesus Christ has been real, revealed to be, and how does it come to us through these different, different voices that we can put into one? So, so
1: Calvin kind of imposes onto the Gospels, not necessarily a modern view of let's tell the story of Jesus as a biography, but something, something like that. He wants to, he wants to write Jesus' life.
0: Yeah. Oh, there's definitely a sense of life there, and I, you know, I, when we do talk about. Jesus's life, his biography, I do think that's really more in tune with kind of sixteenth century We're not quite to the birth of modern history, but we are to a sense of a more sophisticated kind of of history. One of the things in in the in Calvin's commentaries he's really caught up with trying to place the age of John the Baptist and the age of Jesus oh, and really? really trying to place it within the context of the historical goings mm-hmm. on and he's referencing josephus and he's referencing different um, Roman officials saying this happened here and when. And so he's really kind of an early historical Jesus kind of guy in terms of this.
1: Well, and and, you know, that was almost sort of an uh, I think, beginning with the Reformation, that was part of their apologetic about Absolutely. Jesus and about the Gospels as being valid and, and important. And why you should believe them is because they're historically verifiable.
0: Exactly. And that's part of the humanism, right? right. And we get the birth of archaeology there. Yeah. We, get the, we get a renewal of history and, if you will, a more modern interpretation of history. Absolutely, this is part of, of who they are. So it's a different space than than we what we're looking at now, which is some of the nuance of the different writers and how they come in, um, and remind you, even though they have rediscovered the ancient Greek text and they're reading it in, in 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 the ancient Greek, it's it's kind of like opening their eyes to the reality and how does it all fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, he's in a different space, and all the reformers are, and that's that I think is. A reflection of what we would call that early modern period, which they are. However, <laughs> I might say our tendency to collapse the Gospels today undoubtedly stems a lot from this era. Yeah, I
1: bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, um, well, and it could predate that, but I mean, that's that seems to be the, the tendency is just to collapse all the Gospels, including John, into one narrative of Jesus' mm-hmm. life. So, what significance did the Reformers find? And, you know, we talked a lot about Jesus' baptism. We talked a lot about Jesus as the Son of God. Um, how, what did the Reformers have to say about these ideas as we talked about
0: them? Sure. Their emphasis here is on the baptism and what happens during this baptism. Now, of course, so they're really dealing with not only Jesus' baptism, but also that John is baptizing, and to you have these two things together, and what does that mean? Um, you know, one of the big questions, did Jesus have to be baptized, was mm. one of the things that came up. And in a technical sense, Jesus says God, Jesus says someone who doesn't have sin, no. Now, this doesn't come up in Mark. He no. doesn't deal with those kinds of questions <laughs> no. that become caught up in a theological mm. background. But... Our reformers are also looking at the Roman Catholic Church. Well, I was
1: going to say, I hear the voice of medieval scholasticism creeping in a little bit.
0: Absolutely. And so they're trying to understand what baptism is and ultimately what baptism is in terms of a sacrament. So the sacramental theology becomes Mm. a really important focus of this. So I think they read this through the eyes of sacramental theology, through salvation, and what does this mean so they they so it's
1: not about Jesus it's about our current our current practice of sacraments and about our understanding of baptism today
0: well yeah a lot of it is and and I think what it meant for Jesus what it meant for John the Baptist and how that reflects then as we are baptized into the present so I, there, there's a big space right here and we begin to see this idea of, baptism as a sign um mm-hmm. is something we do physically that then but then is also done through the holy spirit so mm-hmm. it's that that kind of dual pieces that we talk about with calvin so often that um it's a it's a physical outward sign of something that jesus is something that um god is doing in us um so you get those two pieces that become so central to calvin's theology uh, Another important part is the essential nature of this for the Christian. And um, that baptism is absolutely necessary. It is, you can't have forgiveness of sins unless you have repentance. And so it's kind of a, this is something God does in people, but that people have to respond to it. So you see Mm -hmm. that kind of dual, um, dual thing. Calvin never wants to back away from the sovereignty of God and God's able to forgive. Um, But yet he's very insistent that it's not really effective in the believer unless indeed they are willing to repent. And in a a day when we kind of overlook repentance, we kind of turn the other way this is a huge part of you. And and Luther was there too. I I, got to read this quote. This is so funny. Um, (laughs) It's so Luther. So in one of his sermons, he he says, God can have no higher revelation than to claim his son. When he himself preaches, you can find no greater minister. And who do not believe this should be led away by the devil. (laughs) They do not deserve to hear it. (laughs) Wow.
1: (laughs) i guess he felt pretty strongly about that
0: <laughs> yeah exactly so you hear that kind of message in both luther and calvin this wow. kind of yeah this real sense of of belief and repentance that come in so it's just oh,
1: well it's just it makes so sense because you know it's interesting that you know we have a clear narrative of jesus instituting the sacrament of the lord's supper we don't really have a clear narrative of Jesus instituting the sacrament of baptism. And so it seems like what I'm hearing you say is they turn to Jesus' own baptism in order to determine how they understand Jesus instituting baptism as a sacrament.
0: Yeah, I think so. And of course, now mind you, they're coming out of the the criticism of the seven sacraments. So 1520, you know, Luther writes his Babylonian captivity of the church, and he Castigates the Roman Catholic Church for having seven sacraments. And if if you read that, you realize that he first identifies three. Is in the beginning of this tract.
1: Oh, really? What's the third?
0: Well, he also recognizes penance originally, originally. But as he actually works his way through the whole thing, he actually crosses off penance because there's no visible sign of it. So that visible sign is a really, really important part. So by the time you get to the end of the Babylonian captivity of the church, then you only have the two sacraments, which have, you know, that has remained the the backbone of, of Protestant tradition sure. in a sense. Um, but that is an important piece of this is what happens in this and also happens in the Eucharist. that's so central to conveying grace. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about God coming through, that's, that's that grace conveyed onto Jesus, but also Jesus having the authority then as God himself to also convey that grace and Jesus command go and baptize others mm-hmm. so you get that constant um sacrificial nature through uh, giving grace through this the sacrament if you mm. will so um another thing that i think is an interesting piece here is this is one of the first times they're going to really identify trinity the god really working, uh-huh oh interesting yeah
1: well i guess you've got The voice, you've got the spirit, Mm -hmm. and you've got the Mm son. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. So they they start they see this as a work of the Trinity, Um, and I think part of that too is Reformation. You start to get attacks on Trinity again. So again, saying, uh, no, this is how God works. God works um, as a triune God. So we we also get that piece. So there's a lot of there's a lot of important theological pieces for the Reformation in this I have
1: passage. to say as I hear you talking I'm a little disappointed in the reformers because it seems like they're using this mark story of Jesus baptism as a proof text for their own theological concerns
0: Yeah but they do that a lot but that's where <laughs>
1: <laughs> And they- I guess I guess really and truly that hasn't stopped I mean a lot of people still do that today but I feel sad because because you know thinking about what, what it seems to be Mark's message. You know, he's not concerned about sacraments and Trinity. <laughs>
0: Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, and I think that's also where, again, you're seeing that early modern European mindset. You, you, you don't have a modern blank slate that you start with with a modern mm-hmm. mindset as you come to it saying, okay, I'm going to read this with new eyes. I always encourage people, particularly with Mark, read it like you don't know who Jesus is. Mm-hmm read it for the first time they're not doing that no these reformation people no they they are coming at it with a lot of assumed knowledge and a lot of baggage also uh and so we could be critical of them but then we also have to remember but there's still people their era of course of course i think though what we learn from them is kind of important because we as you said we do can do that ourselves we tend to come in with assumptions already we tend to come in with a collapsed a collapsed gospel and frankly Maybe we're guilty ultimately of teaching a collapsed gospel, and uh, that might be something we can talk about later. Is how do we make sure that people get um, an understanding of the gospel, but also get these the four
1: gospels, these
0: four gospels, and get the vision that way? But mm-hmm. it makes it will make their faith much richer. I think if so. they can come at it that way. Yeah, but um, it it does show one of the weaknesses of these folks.
1: What was their understanding then of Jesus baptism? As it relates to our baptism, what what did they draw out of that?
0: Well, um, so I mean, one of the big important things with Jesus's baptism is, um, I mentioned earlier, did Jesus have to be baptized? No, but that Jesus did is a reflection on Jesus's humanity. This idea that Jesus has to go through what we what we need to go through, mm-hmm. um, and the bapt so the baptism of by John reflected just that physical thing that you do. Um, it, it reflects what people coming to do. It's kind of that sense of baptism as, of a, as an ordinance, if you will, mm-hmm. like some, some people believe, but the baptism of Jesus then represents that baptism of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So there's this is like these two pieces that right. have to go together. And so they're looking at it as having these two, these two pieces is that it's something physically we have to do. Um, that in that sign then is, um, God's presence for Jesus to be baptized is, is, is important because it reflects that, um, he too does the sign does, does the, the process, the physical sign sign Mm -hmm. that in being human, um, he's setting that example for us. Um, but also then, um, but unlike just doing John's baptism by water, right? We mm-hmm. see that later. This is baptism by the Holy Spirit. right? Which is the big step. So that's kind of how they're,
1: they're seeing okay. it is, is, wow.
0: is two kind of two-step thing going on.
1: So any other thoughts about how the reformers approach Jesus' baptism?
0: Yeah, I think we could talk a little bit about um, one of Calvin's great pieces of as uh, total depravity, one of his big um, theological ideas. Uh, and he really sees that as tied to... Uh, Baptism and in particular, um, in particular, this example put forth and and saying that look, people all come. You you cannot do anything without outside of Christ. You you really have to be baptized. And I think that's an important piece. And 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 baptism it really is central to salvation. Um, and we have kind of walked away from that today, saying God can do what God wants to do. And I think Calvin would say ultimately yes, but really that. In in practicality, that does not happen. There is an urgency for baptism.
1: Well, and I would agree with them. I mean, the New Testament narrative presents um, repentance, faith, baptism, gift of the Holy Spirit, all as one kind of one total whole experience. They don't separate those uh those elements of of sort of the the steps of conversion that that, as they've been traditionally called they're not separated out in the new testament
0: right right you know and i said this earlier there's this huge emphasis just on the corruptness of humanity Mm. and and i think that those who came to john repentance of sins was a whole thing and so it was coming out of them but that was just that recognition of your own sin that in itself didn't wasn't a forgiveness of sins that only can come through Christ uh-huh. and and very uh-huh. very um
1: so they make a big distinction between John's baptism and abso- what happens to Jesus here absolutely. and then Christian baptism that follows absolutely it. I
0: see. and when we start we'll start to get into um uh this ba- this debate between adult baptism mm-hmm. and infant baptism and this of course becomes one of the battle cries of of the Anabaptists early on is that this is something about us seeing sin in ourselves and and claiming Christ for ourselves whereas then the reformers are going to say no you can be baptized as an infant because um, it's what God is doing in mm-hmm. in the individual sinner um, and that God has forgiven the sins of that person because their, their nature is sinful. You know, so it's only through Christ that can be saved. So it's this interesting, interesting debate between those two groups. Yeah. So it is an interesting space. Once you move over to Zwingli, there is there's kind of a shift away from the idea of a sacrament over to kind of an idea of an ordinance. Mm. So again, is this something that you are doing because of your faith as Mm -hmm. a reflection of your faith, or is this something that Christ is doing in you? Yeah. And those two, even in the Reformed tradition, um have some branching apart sure so, then,
1: well and in the baptist world i mean they do consider baptism an ordinance mm-hmm. they don't use the language of sacraments exactly it's the ordinance of the lord's supper it's not the sacrament of the lord's supper and and that's one of the thing that distinguishes our Reformed tradition is that we see both baptism and the lord's supper as um, signs of grace outward mm-hmm. signs of grace that god is working in our lives in and through these external signs
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and those are two, and are two very different understandings about how how we come to these to these things. And of course, you know, then all the way through the Roman Catholic tradition, where you have really uh, the the full mystery, and that we almost have magical magic going on, if you will. You know, we have
1: transubstantiation,
0: transubstantiation yeah. and we also have you know if we're going to talk about roman catholicism and baptism we're going to talk about original sin mm. and we're going to talk about um infants going to hell basically i mean yeah they're <laughs> oh in limbo but limbo is not heaven right um because of original sin and when i was a chaplain um one of the duties I could do was give baptisms to babies who would die. Oh um, and I was horrified by that idea because it was so far from my own theology. And, um, uh, and it just sounded so horrible and it, it sounded like such a mean God who would, mm-hmm. would, you know, destined these infants who had never lived more than a couple hours to hell. Um, and i i really hesitated whether i could do that because as presbyterians we recognize baptism as being you know becoming part of the body of christ yes. it's a sign and seal of god's love for you and you're yes. you're welcoming into the
1: into the Christian family, of god, fa- yeah. family
0: of god so yeah. there really isn't any
1: there's any, any of need, that going on right there's yeah
0: not going to bring up this child in the church but
1: for a roman catholic family that's necessary to ensure that child gets to go to heaven absolutely
0: absolutely and i came to believe that it wasn't the time to debate theology your your care is going to be to that family right um
1: you're meeting them where they are
0: exactly meeting them where they are but in those cases in a roman catholic church anybody can give Really? Anybody can do that. As, wow. So as a chaplain, I was absolutely entrusted to mm. to do that role. So kind of an interesting space.
1: Mm.
0: But yeah, when we're talking about so, while well, the reformers have kind of moved beyond that concept of original sin, I feel like part of the continued continued practice not only was it tradition infant baptism, um, but I think there was also that sense of that that sin early on Mm -hmm. and that promise of bringing up the child into the faith by the faithful was really really important
1: so original sin may have played a role in their embracing of of infant baptism
0: i mean the idea that sin was so central um to human human nature and that you were sinful by nature it was from birth from birth Mm -hmm. exactly and so that is something that I think we've come away from today, mm-hmm. but then it's still there, so I think that also helps seal that infant baptismist
1: tradition there. Mm-hmm. So. For the Reformers. Yeah. Know. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I, you know, again, I have to say I'm a little disappointed that they they drew this kind of thinking out of Mark's Gospel or even out of the Gospels because I don't think that any of the Gospel writers really had these kinds of notions in mind. But of course, I understand that they were trying to establish a new theological tradition and bucking the trend of hundreds of years of Catholic mm-hmm. tradition. And so mm-hmm. they they had, I'm sure they felt like they had to have scriptural basis for
0: it. Well, they did. And I I think what's interesting is, it, as we talk about this is how now today we've kind of moved back to even trying to, in our truly modern tradition, we're trying to go back and look at what's most, most original. Mm-hmm. They're not. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for us to wrap our brains around. Sure. We, ex- we expect more of them than they're able to give All us. Right. Well, we'll come back and we're going to talk a little about today.
1: All right. Thanks. Thanks.
0: Hi, everybody. We are back and as we took this break, Alan and I got talking about why we feel so far apart, why our reformers are on a different page than a modern scholarship with the book of Mark. And so I thought we'd just start our discussion there. What is going on in the interpretation of this gospel?
1: Well, I think as we, as we discussed the reformers, I think it became clear that they had a particular theological agenda, that they were coming to the text to find they were, tr- they were using the text as a proof text for their theological agenda. And, you know, the reality of it is that we're not immune to that fallacy ourselves. We approach Scripture that way mm-hmm. at times ourselves. And as I said in our second segment, we all come at the text with assumptions. I think... One of the challenges as a seminary professor I ran into, you know, was students who would say, well, why do I have to take this language stuff? Why do I have to do all these classes? You know, all I got to do is read the Bible and teach the Bible to my people. Well, the whole point of all of this is that our exegetical work, our understanding of the history of that time, our awareness of the theological tradition and how it's developed over time, helps us to identify our own presuppositions that we bring to the text because above all we want to be faithful interpreters we want yeah. to do our best to let the original text speak for itself and not overlay it with our own theological agenda and it seems to me pretty clear that the, the reformers were not in, in that space they were they were coming at it from their own perspectives and and granted they were they were men of their times and, right. and we shouldn't expect more of them than that well
0: and I think they you know I think they tried to be I think they thought they were being very very true to the text I think they thought they were being much better than what had come before and them and I'm sure and
1: yet, I'm sure again you know the, the going beyond the Vulgate to the Greek and the Hebrew that in and of itself was a big, big
0: step big step and that mm-hmm. was an important
1: thing that they emphasized and so we mm-hmm. we give them credit where credit is due right. I think that right. was a big advance yeah
0: I think we have to look at it as a it again, is like a kind of a historical um, a moment, a progression. Yeah, and you know, you almost you almost wonder if indeed part of this progression is just is literally in how the Holy Spirit's moving in us today. Oh, of course. This, this and I fully expect step.
1: that two or three hundred years from now, our our reformed. Uh, descendants will be looking back on us, 21st century Presbyterians, and marveling at how stuck we were in our own agenda.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I wonder, and and especially someone coming from Greek, as we get more and more aware of words and how they're used, which we can do now with modern oh, yeah. technology. Yeah, sure. You know, we can start to look at every time Kyrios is used in every book that we have in the ancient world as more things are uncovered because modern archaeology is still uncovering stuff sure every day will we will we discover Q will Q emerge I don't know it might you know and how is that going to change our understanding Um, all these little pieces um, also just as we become better using languages and as machine learning can help us work with Different languages. I mean, English is my main language, but as machines start to be able to read German and Greek and Hebrew and Latin and everything else, how is that going to impact our understanding of language use? I don't know. um, Well, I found those
1: tools to be very useful to me because, you know, I think you have to have a basic working knowledge of the language itself to make those tools really useful. Mm -hmm. And so, given my, I mean, I've been, I started studying Greek in 1980 so right I've been working with it for 40 years well, really.
0: and one of the things you know as a new as a new scholar in Greek sometimes I'd bring up some little nuance to Alan and he'd be like Christy that's that's just how language works mm. think about how you use language mm. and so Alan has a very um, appropriate and good use of the, the how broad broadly we use language whereas you know we tend to look at scriptures like this and look for every little tiny difference and then write a whole paper on it. Right. And um I I think sometimes
1: a word is just a word.
0: Sometimes a word's just a word. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I do think I do think that this you know what we see in the Reformers is a good word of caution to us. You know we all need to be aware that we bring our own assumptions to the text. And that's why we try to do uh the work of exegesis. That's why it's Mm -hmm. important for us to look at the original text. Now again some of the details are just details. Some of the details are, oh, wow, this is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's kind of what exegesis is about, is trying to, learn, trying to figure out, you know, wh- how do we tell the forest from the trees and what are the details that are really important here? And that's how we get to Mark's, the idea that Mark is focusing on the cross as the primary way, the primary mm-hmm. lens mm-hmm. through which people can rightly understand Jesus as the Son of God. And and it's it's just through focusing on the details in right. Mark's gospel in right. comparison with the other gospels.
0: As, as a historian, I would like to caution you, however, not to simply say, well, gosh, those reformers, they had it wrong, so we should ignore them and just try to jump and recreate the ancient world because what you have to understand is their theology is really, really important for your identity as a Christian, your space, in if you're a PCUSA pastor, um, whatever denomination you're in, that all relied on those historical pieces and those people that that were in that space and interpreting at the time. Also, they were the ones to really say, hey, we need better tools than a Mm -hmm. Vulgate that is really not true to the earlier texts, but they don't have everything we have. So you can't I hear this a lot. It's like I'd want to cut out all that middle stuff and just go back to the right. ancient text, with forgetting about all the stuff that happened in between. Our understanding of baptism and what happened is so central to church fathers and sure. and Augustine Well, and that was and, that
1: was the mistake mm-hmm. that the radical reformers made. They thought that they could just somehow. Uh, skip over all the centuries of Christian tradition and just read the New Testament directly and recreate it directly. Uh, But we really can't do that. So, for example, in this text, you know, when we read that first verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we read that phrase, Son of God, and that has a very different meaning for us than it would have had for most of the readers in Mark's day, because we can't read that without the Council of Chalcedon, you know, exactly. we can't read that exactly. without an affirmation of Jesus exactly. fully God and fully human, because that history of the church has shaped us.
0: Exactly, and that's
1: the tradition in which we've been raised. And so, yeah, we, I, I agree with you. We don't, we don't eliminate. We don't just ignore. Right the reformers we don't ignore the catholic tradition
0: exactly we
1: learn from it exactly and and so we not only do our greek and hebrew exegesis we also do our historical theology and we, we do our church history exactly and we try to have a basic grasp of of what happened between then and now so that yeah. we can know why it is that we approach the text the way we do. Exactly. It's it is.
0: It's <laughs> it's a it's a huge challenge. And of course, you know, that's hopefully why you're you're listening to this, so we can give you some ideas about our background. And I, I learn from Alan every week um about details of the Greek that As
1: I do from Christy about and, the reformers. <laughs> so it's
0: been a really fun dialogue for us, but I think I hope it's fun for you as well as as you start to work on your on your own um, theology and development, and um, and and come to your own conclusions, and move forward as the Holy Spirit moves moves you. So,
1: so yeah. what, one, one of the thoughts I had about this was, you know, as I said before, many of our churches observe the baptism of the Lord as a liturgical day, um, but I'm not sure that we really find much theological significance in Jesus' baptism. Now, I don't, and I don't think. <laughs> That we want to go we want to follow the reformers in using Jesus baptism as the foundation for our theology of sacraments. I mean, I understand why they were doing that, but I don't think that's what Mark had in mind. I I wanted to bring in something from my favorite theologian Jurgen Moltmann. So one of the things that You're gonna
0: get a bell every time you bring him up. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) <laughs> so, so um, one of the things that New Testament scholars observe, New Testament historians observe, is that Jesus is the only one to call God "Abba," um, mm-hmm. Father, was a term for God in the Hebrew Bible, among many others. Right. So, I mean, mostly it was Adonai, Lord, or. God most high, or God all powerful, or you know, very exalted titles, but Father was was used some in some cases, but Abba,
0: Abba, it's like Daddy, or that's like mm-hmm.
1: that's a very familiar term, and being that familiar with God was not something that was in the Jewish tradition. Well, and you know, when you think about when you think about that, we have those texts that they won't
0: they won't even write the the letters right, for Yahweh, right? right? We'll just see these dots. When you think yeah. about that. And then we have someone using such a yes. an intimate term.
1: Yes, that's kind of a It shocks that whole shocking, sensitivity of yeah. you. You really protect the name of God from any any using it in vain, you know, because you don't want to cross the, well, the line of the commandment. And Moltmann, Moltmann's idea is that it's Jesus' unique baptismal experience. So, and remember, in Mark's gospel, this is an experience that's directed at Jesus. Uh, Jesus has the vision of heavens opened. The heavens opened, he thinks, is significant because Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom is very different from John's. Jesus has the vision of the spirit descending upon him Mm -hmm. as a dove. Jesus hears the voice from heaven. You're my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And so... um, Moltmann argues that this unique baptismal experience of Jesus, as it's recorded in Mark's gospel, has a determinative influence on his ministry. Um, And and all of this together, the the spirit coming as a dove, the vision of the heavens opened, the hearing the the heavenly voice affirming him as God's son, um, all of this combines so that Jesus feels comfortable addressing God as Abba, Uh, my father and also jesus proclamation of the kingdom is very different from john's john preaches this preaches this very harsh Mm -hmm. you know if you know if you don't come and baptize be baptized you know um uh, the one who's coming is going to gather the going to separate the wheat and the chaff and the wheat he's going to put into the barn and the chaff he's going to burn with fire right you know it's a very apocalyptic vision it is yeah you know and it's and it's it's very um Turner Burn kind of mm-hmm. sin and condemnation, and and John, but yet Jesus' proclamation of the gospel, he uses the same exact words as John: "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand." And yet, it's a very different kingdom that Jesus has in mind. It's a kingdom where you know God rules with justice mm-hmm. and mercy and and grace. God invites the weary and the heavy laden to come for rest. um You know, Jesus invites those who are who are seen as spiritual outsiders to come in. You know, and and it's so it's a it's a it's a vision of grace. And mm-hmm. and Moltmann ties that to mm-hmm. to Jesus baptism, especially I would say as it's presented in Mark's yeah. gospel, where. Jesus has this vision of heavens open. Jesus sees the Spirit coming upon him, and Jesus hears the voice. Right. You're my beloved son. Right.
0: And what? It, and and instead of a by using Abba, um, it's it's not this this view of fear. I mean, heavens yes. open. And and by the dove. And actually, one of the questions um, my reformers did ask is why why does the Holy Spirit come as a dove mm. as, as opposed to fire? Mm-hmm. So they at least were recognizing that. That sense of, of calm and that sense of, of beauty and, and love that would a dove might represent as opposed to fire. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's interesting and it definitely fits within this context of what Moltmann is, is proposing. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I mean I
1: think and I think you know again, Moltmann's a theologian. Moltmann has his own theological agenda. And, and a, a careful reader of Moltmann is going to be someone who's going to try to identify those theological agenda and be aware of those. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's, an, uh, it's, an, it's a fascinating idea that he brings up here, that Jesus, perhaps Jesus' whole understanding of his ministry, perhaps Jesus' whole understanding of his identity as son of God, perhaps Jesus' mm-hmm. whole understanding of his relationship with God, and perhaps Jesus' whole understanding of the kingdom of God comes from his baptismal experience. Mm-hmm. That I think is that's something for us to chew on. And it it it's it's um it helps us to see that, yeah, Jesus baptism
0: It's a big deal. It's a
1: big deal. And it is a big deal in Mark's gospel. It
0: is. And I think, you know, when you asked the first question of how do we re- reclaim this um this tradition in the in the church, I think it's interesting because when I when I work with young people, they're like, Oh, Jesus was baptized. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And then they and then they're like, Well, is that a big deal? And I'm like, you know, it's in all the gospels. What, you know? And they don't realize that this is really it. When when you're looking at the things that are in all four gospels,
1: this is pivotal.
0: This is really pivotal. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is really, really a big deal. And we kind of don't make a big deal out of it. Nope. But and I we think just kind of gloss over it. We really gloss over it. It's yeah. very awkward for us to even think about, and yet it it is a, it is a huge it's a huge deal. And I think it takes us from um. Maybe Jesus didn't have to be baptized, but Jesus had to be baptized. Does that make any sense? Maybe In he didn't order- have
1: to be baptized, but he needed to be. He baptized. Needed to
0: be. Maybe. Right. Yeah. yeah. He needed to be because that's how we are going to be able to see who God really is.
1: Well, right. Well, and and perhaps you know, as Moltmann is thinking, perhaps that was how Jesus came to his really a, a sense of clarity about his understanding mm-hmm. of his own calling about his own relationship with god and about his own purpose in proclaiming the kingdom of god exactly. and and so that's i think that's pretty significant myself you well know? It, it is this it would be is. like a call experience exactly for jesus. you know it would be equivalent to yeah, the call of one of the prophets in the hebrew bible
0: Well, think about that it 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 references jesus humanity which we tend to tend to jump over and I, and sometimes i think mark is accused because of not having infancy narratives of ignoring jesus humanity yeah. right but here we are and maybe this is the most real experience of jesus humanity that we sure. we can get especially in jesus human or in in his His connection to God, right? Um, As a beloved child of God, well, if we indeed are also beloved children of God, Mm -hmm. um, that we too can listen for God's call on our lives. You know, I think it. I think it even moves itself to our reality and our humanity. Sure. Um, Well, is as imperfect as it is. It still um, begs us to say, "Hey, God, Father, what? What can? What can?" What can we do? Here How I do am. we respond? Send me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Here I am. Here I am. Send me. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us.
0: It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ.
1: We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the word. word.